That's right. Scientists basically published an obituary for the Earth this week, and people were like, yeah, but like, what does Taylor Swift think about it? <laughs> we don't really worry about climate change because it's too overwhelming and we're already in too deep. It's like if you owe your bookie $1,000, you're like, okay, I got to pay this dude back. But if you owe your bookie a million dollars, you're like, I guess I'm just going to die. That is absolutely correct. That's on, some decent analysis. On the climate change thing. Absolutely. Hey, there's Ben Sass on the TV. We're going to talk about uh. that coming up because he's got a new book out in which he talks about how many friends do people have now versus not very many years ago. It's going the wrong direction. Yeah, like thousands of Facebook friends. I have so much to say about that. So uh, we'll get to that. Also, as a fan of the grape, this is shocking to me and hurtful. Could be Napa Valley would make more money growing pot on those beautiful hillsides than grapes. And money talks. So uh, look for a little change in the scenery. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> if some of the great grape-growing ground in the world for many, many years, yes, they abandoned the crop. Right. Wow. That would be something. So we got a lot of great stuff this hour to get to. <clears throat> Talked about this at the very end of the show Friday, um, but dug deep into it and wanted to bring it to you. One of the ongoing themes that we've had on the Armstrong and Getty show through the many years of its existence is that you will get a wildly distorted view of America, of Americans, of the state where you live, of just life. If you take in your your information via the media, as opposed to real people with real interactions, which is one of Ben Sass's points, I think. It's funny how that, that dovetails. Um, I hadn't even thought of it till the words came out of my mouth. But, um, and, and here's a great bit of proof of that. And, and I love the way this uh, article uh, opens. It's from The Atlantic, which was dead to me when they got rid of Kevin Williamson, but I keep the corpse around because it amuses me. It opens with this. On social media, the country seems to be divided into two neat camps. Call them the woke and the resentment, the resentful. Team resentment is manned by people who are predominantly old, exclusively white, mostly men. Team woke is young, likely to be female, predominantly black, brown, or Asian, though their white allies do their part. These teams are roughly equal in number, team resentment and team woke, and they disagree most vehemently and routinely about the catch-all known as political correctness. Well, reality is nothing like this, and they describe this giant study called Hidden Tribes, a study of America's polarized landscape that interviewed many thousands of people, did a bunch of uh, hour-long interviews, focus groups, went on for almost an entire year. Um. And it turns out there are seven distinct clusters in America from progressive activists, traditional liberals, passive liberals, the politically disengaged, moderates, traditional conservatives, and devoted conservatives. About 25% of Americans are traditional, traditional or devoted conservatives. And they say that their views are outside the American mainstream, that, that quarter of people. Some 8% are progressive activists, and their views are even less typical. Now, I'll grant you this. If you live in the Bay Area of California, for instance, um, it's more than 8%. Um, If you live in Portlandia, it's more than 8%. I'd say. But in terms of the national conversation, the people really driving a lot of the social justice warrior stuff is less than 10% of Americans. What percent among the media? Oh boy! If you if you include not only progressive activists and traditional liberals, um, it's it's 
probably 95 percent, something like that. Sure. Certainly 85. Um, Then this from the study. By contrast, the two-thirds of Americans who don't belong to either extreme constitute an exhausted majority. Their members share a sense of fatigue with our polarized national conversation, a willingness to be flexible in their political viewpoints, and a lack of voice in the national conversation. I think that probably sounds very familiar to a lot of you. I will point out, uh, however, and and I do this partly because I come from a conservative point of view on some stuff, is that the they talk about the two extremes. One is three times the size of the other, for what it's worth. But to the the topic of political correctness, and they break that down. Um, uh, it's it, using the right nomenclature for people and issues and that sort of thing. They, they're they talking about using the right words by political correctness. Expressing yourself in a way that won't get you in trouble as a working definition. Um, a full 80% believe that political correctness is a problem in our country. That's among the exhausted majority. Even young people are uncomfortable with it. Age 24 to 29, 74% think political correctness is a problem. 79% of people under 24 think it's a problem. That's amazing. There is almost complete unanimity in the question. Uh, White people are less likely to believe that than... Asians and Hispanics and American Indians, who that's 82, 87, 88%. Uh, they quote one 40-year-old American Indian in Oklahoma. He said, it seems like every day you wake up, something's changed. Do you say Jew or Jewish? Is it a black guy, African-American? You're on your toes because you never know what to say. So political uh, correctness in that sense is scary. So my reading of that would be that uh, white people um are being politically correct with the idea that it's offensive to those other groups who are less worried about being offended than white people think. With the exception of the extremely vocal and dangerous 8% who will get you fired from your job or get the advertising contract canceled or what have you. Yeah, because the management of your company will react to that very loud 8%. As if it is the 80-some percents, like 84% on average, who think those people are crazy. Did you hear that, corporate fathers? 84% are being cowed by 8%. We we got a perfect example of that is when we used, somebody used, maybe I used, the word Chinaman on the air many years ago. Many years ago. Yeah. I did not know that that was a bad word. I honestly did not know that. I thought it was like Irishman. But anyway, so a bunch of uh, media, television uh, reporters showed up. And did stories about how awful... Asian and, reporters. Because yeah. they always send yep. that ethnicity. And yeah. did stories about how awful and racist we were. One TV station, who I still thank, stopped people on the street and said, did you know Chinaman was a, a slur? And people said, no, I had no idea. Right. Frenchmen, Irishmen are perfectly fine, but if you say Chinaman, it is a slur. And then, by the way, when somebody told me, I said, oh, okay, I didn't know that, and stopped. It right. wasn't like, you know, you don't need to riot or... Nobody needs to quit. Or yeah, exactly. I'm clipping up this segment and sending it to local news. <laughs> you know what's really interesting is the biggest indicator. It's not. It's not age. It's not race, ethnicity. For if you're pro political correctness, it's uh, income and college education. Wealthier, more educated people are more down with. You got to call everything by the proper name, and and are less likely to think it's uh, a problem. Only. 
only 66% of those with a postgraduate degree think political correctness is a problem. And that is the lowest number of any group. That. That's lower than black people, which is 75%, think political correctness is a problem. So what do you take from that? Education is bad for you. That's what I take from it. No. um, People start to stir up their own heinies at some point. Well, yeah. You know, it's funny. I've often said, and I mean this, that the problem with Americans is that Americans think way too little and that they think way too much. Um, You know, on some things, we don't just don't think about things. And on some things, we just get up our own hiney, as Jack said. I think the more educated you are, the more into kind of the advanced ideas you become you get a little more pretentious about the way you look at life um and then they they break down some more of the numbers yeah okay um and then there's one thing um one more thing i want to throw in uh oh there you there you have it uh they mentioned that the vast majority of people um were concerned about their day-to-day ability to express themselves. They worry that a lack of familiarity with a topic or an unthinking word choice could lead to serious social sanctions for them. I worry about that. And then uh, you contrast that with the social justice warrior types who, I mean, the verbiage changes by the week. And if you're not up with the latest intersectionality, uh, uh, gender queer. Uh, racially active whatever terminology you'll be castigated for it and they're just these people are insane but there's been and this is my final point on this there's a huge misperception about how many people think this stuff and there is practically nobody behind that super energetic angry you gotta be way progressive on this stuff it's practically nobody and one of the writers from the atlantic Um, says, in the days before the study was published, I ran a little experiment on Twitter asking my followers to guess what percentage of Americans believe that political correctness is a problem in this country. The results were striking. Nearly all of my followers underestimated the extent to which most Americans reject political correctness. That's being misled. 6% gave the right answer. That's being misled by the media. Yeah. Which is out way out of step with most people. Correct. And, and way out of step with, Reality. Yeah. I mean, they, they're they expressing a tiny minority point of view without pointing out that it's a minority point of view. And so once they again... They don't know that. Once again... <laughs> they think everybody thinks well, like them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like going to a, you know, a, a, a co-op in Berkeley. You start to think everybody thinks like you. Um, so to get back to the original premise, your perception of the world based on... The people you know, love, work with, rub elbows with, is way, way, way more accurate than the world portrayed by the mainstream media. Who all live in Manhattan and uh, Washington, D.C.? Yeah, that's not that shocking. Right, and make a lot of money. Ben Sasse, he's a senator from Nebraska. He's got a new book out about loneliness or something like that. And uh, he's got some interesting stuff. That, uh, one particular stat that really stood out to me. I have such a man crush on Ben Sasse. You wouldn't be lonely then, huh? You two spooning at night. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Girl with the diamonds in her shoes. She walks around like she's got nothing to lose. You see the 
She's a queen of the city, but she don't believe the hype. She's got her own elevation, holy motivation. So I, I think the biggest problem in America right now is loneliness. Uh, and the good news is it's fixable, but it requires friendship. It requires more uh, attention to place and family and shared vocation and work and neighborhood and worshiping communities. Help people understand what you mean by <clears throat> place. Yeah. So, you know, where you live is where you actually love. And communities of love are the center of what really keeps people happy. There's a ton of literature now that shows we're the richest people in the history of humanity, and yet we're some of the most dissatisfied people in the history of humanity. How do you make sense of that? And it didn't start two years ago. It starts because the digital revolution is really undermining that sense of local community and neighborhood. Because we're all just <clears throat> looking into our phones and we're by ourselves, and then suddenly the sun's gone down and the day's over. That's a huge part of it. It turns out if you go from 200 to 500 social media friends, or 500 to 1,000, you don't get happier. But if you know the neighbor who lives two doors away from you, statistically, you're more likely to be happy. We need to attend to those kind of things. It's a big deal. Wow. Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska, has got a book out about it. He had one stat that I heard this morning of the number of friends everybody has now versus, I think it was the 80s. Much, much, much fewer friends. I don't know how you answer that question, though. I don't remember ever being polled on how many friends you have. And if somebody asked me now, I don't know how I'd answer it. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, but, but the number's way down. Yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't worry about that so much. But, um, yeah, and, and this is the same truth teller who was telling us during the contentious Kavanaugh hearings that, listen, the problem is that we have a gigantic government and Congress just passes vague laws puts it all in the hands of bureaucrats, and then judges have to sort out whether the bureaucrats did the right thing or not. Uh, ben Sass, I, we were talking about this off the air, me and Positive Sean, I would let him be king for 10 years just to see how it goes. <laughs> wise and benevolent king is the best form of government. Well, I think he's wise and benevolent. Mm. On the other hand, there's what a bit of next? a tough track record with monarchies. Right. Yeah. Um, so, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I can barely talk about this on the air because I am so thinking about my own life in that context right now. I'm having a hard time concentrating. Smart people, because we, we see ourselves as like a super rational, uh, high level intelligence beings, but we're just animals. And uh, and and our, I know I am, and our, especially after a couple of glasses of wine and our brains and bodies have evolved to uh, to survive. And smart people have now exploited the way we're wired in a number of ways. For instance, eating. We've talked about that over and over again. They've exploited the way the brain is wired to give you a burst of flavor that your 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 animal brain craves. Mm-hmm. The flavor goes away so that you'll eat more of it. And that's right. why we're all fat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of examples of this. And and now the smart people, the the, the Zuckerbergs of the world, the Twitter people. They've all exploited this need we have for new information or 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 or, or belongingness or whatever it is. Both, yeah. Yeah. Similar to the food, we're getting a whole bunch of empty calories with a little bit of what seems like immediate satisfaction, but no nutrition. And it is pushed aside in the same way that an entire bag of potato chips will push aside the desire for uh lean meat vegetables and and the rest of it. That fake connectedness pushes aside as the uh, interviewer pointed out, you just you lose the, the hours of the day. It's pushed aside real interaction. And I, I'm telling you, when you get down to the real biological bases of some of the things that make us uh, happy, some of them are a little animalish, as you were saying before. But I, I've developed this theory that a lot of our satisfaction and joy in life is, is uh, deeply biological. And if I talk to you on the phone 
for a good long time, that's a pretty good substitute for being with you, but we're not exchanging pheromones and chemicals and all. And the deep, deep part of us that says, I must be part of a tribe, is not being fulfilled. I'm also not getting touched the way you want to touch Ben Sass through the phone. Number um, one, <laughs> number one, I believe you are gay shaming, something like that, which is odd because I'm a flaming hetero. I love the man's mind. I want to cuddle up with his ideas. I skipped and past kiss them on the mouth. You have to spoon his intellect. I right. S- <laughs> I skipped past one of my own thoughts, which made my little rant less. In order to sense. mock me, um, because I was thinking we we're a lot of us are craving this. I hear young people all the same all the time say it, like Sean's saying. You know, I'm an avid indoorsman. I want to be alone, uh, and I know a bunch of young people I know are feel that way. I feel that way too. So. Why would we do something that's not good for us as an animal? It's because we're getting that fulfillment in a way that giving us no no nutrition. So you can be alone in your apartment and overcome the, I think, would be normal cravings for human interaction. You can get them through the Internet. And is it also possible? And and I guess there must be some part of us that wants to stay in our homes because I want to. I want to retire alone in a room with my phone. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds great right now, actually. Mm. Yeah. Uh, here is uh, here is my metaphor of the day. Is it possible that the artificial sweetener that is social media not only is is filling our bellies with empty calories, but also has negative side effects like anxiety? Oh, absolutely. Because it's too much stimulus all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so going on there. it's time to dismantle the internet. Well, and I, I'm what? all for that. First of all, I would sign up for that today. We're going to print out a good set of encyclopedias for every family in America. <laughs> You're not, I'm not kidding either. I would vote to go back pre-internet today, but. Um, for, for people who think, that platform. for people, <laughs> God, can you imagine? You want to know what a mortgage rate is, or or how much house house payment you could afford, or something like how that. How old is Ernest Borgnine? And you gotta you gotta go to the bank or the uh, Ernest Borgnine fan club. Write them a letter. Say how old is old Ernest these days? He's ninety five years Joe. old. I didn't know that. No, I googled it. I didn't well, great, like that. great. Right and the there. bar argument is over, and that would have been a half an hour of entertainment. Technically no, he... no, McHale's Navy came out in 61, so he's got to be at least 89. Come on, we're ruining life. <laughs> we're ruining life. Uh, what's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, the latest theory being floated about what happened to the missing Saudi journalist. Trump's 60 Minutes interview, what was the first question? And another brick and mortar heading off for the boneyard. Hanson, book Ben Sass immediately. Make it so. Don't take no for an answer. Boy, and for those who think, no, well, you know, we'll come up with a correction of this. We'll handle it. I'm not sure we will. I'm not sure we will. Yeah, cracking up. Going the way of the dinosaur. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Nerd fight. <laughs> that's, that's a funny term. Um, God, we got so many good things on the way. A tweet out from a Weekly Standard reporter about um, Elizabeth Warren and her Indian heritage. And a what if involving Donald Trump. Pretty entertaining thought. <sighs> that, yeah, let's get back to that Elizabeth Warren Indian <laughs> thing because it's so entertaining. It is. <laughs> These are troubled times. We're all lonely. We're at home clicking on the Internet. Let's join together. In joy and laughter 
over Elizabeth Warren's alleged Indian heritage and, and, and both sides acting as if it matters an iota. Later this half hour, how about if one of the great wine-growing regions in the world decides to grow pot instead? I say false choice. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. President Trump is suggesting that rogue killers may be responsible for whatever happened to the missing Washington Post columnist. Trump telling reporters... I guess my desire that he just downplay this and soft-pedal it is just not going to happen. No. Trump was telling reporters as he was leaving the White House en route to Florida that he talked with Saudi Arabia's king, and the king firmly denied any knowledge about the disappearance. Trump went on to say he doesn't want to get into King Solomon's mind, but says it sounded to me like maybe these could have been rogue killers. Um, Wow. Trump being the most reactive to the media president ever is pretty well known. And the whole, you know, bitching about CNN and and yelling at various reporters and fake news. That's all, you know, entertaining and nutty. But if he's getting baited into making a major foreign policy move because he sees it on cable news a lot, I don't know, that's not cool. He really needs to just be quiet about this and let it get settled. Meanwhile, President Trump sat down with Leslie Stahl for that 60 Minutes interview that aired last night. And the first question... Do you still think that climate change is a hoax? Look, I think something's happening, something's changing, and it'll change back again. I don't think it's a hoax. I think there's probably a difference, but I can't believe I don't know that, that was that the first man-made. question. I will say this. Um, I don't want to give trillions and trillions of dollars. I don't want to lose millions and millions of jobs. I don't want to be put at a disadvantage. Yeah, most right. people agree with that, and the it's, vast majority. And it's nineteenth out of twenty subjects. If right. you ask people what they care about, NPR's lead this morning was so a, it's a top twenty subject. <laughs> it is. It is a top twenty with subject. a bullet soaring up the charts. Um, NPR's lead this morning was the president claims without evidence that climate change will change back again. The lead is the president said the trillions of dollars in cost that it would require to maybe possibly help a little isn't worth the sacrifice now if that's a conversation you want to have fine but god it just the 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 tiny percentage of americans that are the mainstream media have such a skewed view of the world sears has declared bankruptcy the expected move coming early this morning when it filed for chapter 11 according to the filing sears which hasn't earned a profit since 2010 Eh, profits are overrated. They have assets of profit. One. We're have, doing this for the fun of it, right? <laughs> they have, for the love of the game. That's have, what Roebuck thought. That's why Sears <laughs> pushed him out. Greedy <laughs> bastards. Sears has assets of one to eleven billion dollars and liabilities of ten to fifty billion dollars. Ten to fifty? You can't nail that down. <laughs> no, that's what they're saying in their filing. I, I think s- I figured out part of their problems. Yeah, they have rounding <laughs> issues. Yeah, their accountants are drunk. <laughs> I still say the main result of this story, when everybody anybody hears it, is that they say Sears is still around. That's now, what people say. What's interesting, now Sears was kind of the Amazon of the day, yeah. right? The Sears was the department yeah. oh, store yeah. that put out of business yep. all the mom and pops. And now as the well, cycle... Well, they, they were not a department store first. They were a, a, a mail order catalog. catalog. Yeah. yeah, we oh, had the wow. Sears. So they were literally a company that would deliver stuff to your door. 
Yeah, they they were Amazon when Amazon wasn't cool. They so never de- even thought of. They would deliver prefab houses back in the day. You sure. could order a house. Yeah, I I've seen a photo uh, thing on, on Sears me, houses. Looking through the Sears catalog, yeah. how many oh, hours yeah. did I waste doing that as a kid? So take note, Amazon, you're next. <laughs> I still like the 10 to $50 billion in uh, liabilities. Can you imagine you walk into a restaurant, <laughs> you're thinking, you know, I'd like a roast beef sandwich. You look up at the menu, it says 10 to $50. <laughs> Wait a minute. Somewhere in that range. <laughs> yeah. Uh, today it's uh, 43 and yeah, that's a tough break. <laughs> and uh, you know, they'll, they'll, over. Be back. they'll be back. What a, what a game. Kansas City Chiefs no longer unbeaten after Steven Goskowski's 28-yard field goal. As time expired, lifted the Pats past I think winning the with a field goal is cheating. Yeah. <laughs> the snap in place. Swing the right leg. Kick left into the uprights. Right down the middle. A game winner for Goskowski. And the Patriots prevail. 43-40. to 40. And it's, it's almost like if a basketball game was close, and then the final 10 seconds, you each sent out your best interpretive right. dancer to decide the, the, <laughs> yeah. the final of the game. It is. This is it is that well, it has a free throw off. <laughs> yeah. That has always uh, bothered me. <laughs> We're that going to stop playing. The, in soccer and hockey, I'm looking at you. We're going to stop playing the game because we're all very tired and instead going to have a contest. <laughs> Stop it. You're, you're football players. Play football. The Kansas City Chiefs, which is a racist, racist name, came into the game being the only team in NFL history to be 6-0 and in spite of giving up 500 yards of offense per game. Oh, I believe really? that's correct. <laughs> wow. And I think they gave up 1,000 last night. <laughs> I think the, the average uh, gain from scrimmage for the Patriots was like 9.5 yards. It was amazing. So they got no D? No, 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 no. A strong wind would have put up a better defense against the old man and the Patriots last night. Than Just the like Chiefs. they didn't have against the U.S. Cavalry. No D. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's a rough joke. Wow. It really is. Turns out the Los Angeles Rams are the only remaining unbeaten team in the NFL at 6-0. and And tonight, Monday Night Football, it's going to be the 49ers at Green Bay. That's a look at your news. I'm Marshall Phillips in the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. 49ers are going to lose by 50 points. There's something in the news about the 49ers Green Bay game. i got to look that back up. Something happened over the weekend. Um, not sports related. Um, so, yeah, Napa's, some people are thinking, yeah, yeah we've been growing grapes here. It's one of the best climates on planet Earth for that. It'd also be a great climate for Mary Jane. Weed, as the kids call it. Uh, yeah, if your yield per acre is going to be higher, uh, rip out the grapes. You're a farmer trying to grow the most profitable crop, right? Right. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's really pretty simple. Kanye wants to be Trump's famous friend because Obama called Kanye a jackass. And if the President of the United States called you a jackass, you'd go, you know who I like? The next president. (laughs) Could be something to that. I'd forgotten Obama did call Kanye a jackass. (laughs) Well, that was over the Taylor Swift uh, thing. Oh, right. Did you see Seth's um, intro? No. Seth Myers with us. Oh, no, okay. Got to retell that story because it's kind of okay. funny about Kanye West. All right, fair enough. 
Right now, it's Scott Wilson, senior national correspondent of the Washington Post, focusing on California and the West. Uh, Scott, uh, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, Glad to have you. Hey, listen, uh, I, Joe Getty, big fan of the grape. I have more bottles of wine than I'd care to admit, but... Triple digits? uh, It's none of your business. (laughs) Must Um, be over 100, then. I actually, I just have one 400-gallon vat of it. In a hose. Uh, but uh, I'm also a practical man, and if, by God, they can make more money in Napa Valley-grown pot than grapes, that might be happening. Is it going to? Uh, no. But, okay, thanks for calling. Uh, Bye-bye, no. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you having me. Take care. <laughs> no, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, it's basically since legalization all the places we think about as being you know marijuana grow spots particularly the north the far north of california right they've everything they had going for them uh with in an illegal market uh, is working against them now Now, that makes Uh, sense yeah hard to get to yeah right yeah right they're 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 out of the way because they had to be and they had a, a culture uh, that allowed, you know, and, and encouraged uh, cannabis cultivation, which is no longer needed since it's legal. So people are moving to more central places, and uh, cannabis per acre is about five times as valuable as, as uh, grape. Wow. Uh, wine grape. <laughs> so not even uh, close. So, yeah. So it's a, it's a, lo- it's a lot of money. Um, you, you obviously don't need to plant nearly as much to make a lot more money. Um, but places like the Central Coast, which is the focus of my piece, from basically Monterey south to Santa Barbara, are real hot spots right now. Um, they hold the most cultivation licenses uh, of any other county as you know, legalization is unfolding. Um, and I spent some time in San Inez Valley, uh, which is, uh, you know, sort of Pinot Noir land uh, in Santa Barbara County. And um, there's a, you know, it's, it's going to be a big growth spot. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of cannabis farmers are there. The climate's great. The, the, uh, you know, there's a lot of agricultural know-how there. Um, and the government, you know, is looking for replacement crops for a cut flower industry that was devastated. Um, so it's it's got a lot of potential. It's not going to be as massive as as vineyards. You're not going to see cannabis plants everywhere like you see vines. Um, but there's going to be a lot of it. Well, you know, this is off the topic, Scott. But I'm picturing, and I've I've driven through that part of California many many times. Um, how big a problem is people just stopping their car by the side of the road and grabbing a bunch of plants and throwing them in the trunk? That's true. You can't do that with wine, really. Well, yeah, I could I could steal a bunch of grapes from Napa Valley, and many, many months later, I might have wine that's worth a damn, but it's a little different with pot. Yeah, you know, I asked the exact same question. It, it occurred to me, actually being there, I hadn't thought of it. Um, but two things came up. One, your your question. Uh, nothing's to stop them other than uh, guys with guns uh, and cameras. <laughs> Rottweilers. And a lot of security. Rottweilers <laughs> with guns. Around sure. these hoop houses. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like some sort of paramilitary compound by any means. And during the day, you don't see anything. Um, but, you know, it's, it's strict security. Lock gates, uh, you know, patrols at night. Um, and uh, and that kind of stuff. The other is, you know, I hadn't thought of this, but but they, the the transport, you know, they they particularly of the oils and the extracts, you can pack five six million dollars worth of marijuana extract and oils into a into a common van, and you know, to for wow. delivery. 
So six million dollars you know, with a wine would take a giant, giant truck. Oh yeah, exactly, massive. Uh, so you know, it's these these sort of clandestine little vans that carry this stuff around, or you know, almost like the armored car services uh, that are. But but I hadn't even thought of that until I, I worked on this piece. But there's a lot of that around. It's just it's small and valuable, and, and so it's a. Uh, it's a target. Are you a marijuana junkie yourself, Scott? Oh, jeez. Don't. Please don't even dignify that. Hey, uh, Scott Wilson of the you Washington know, Post is I, online. I understand. <laughs> I, yeah, I understand that this transcript might go to my bosses. After <laughs> so I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it at, at uh, I, I have certainly used it. I've certainly inhaled. Uh, it is not. Uh, I, I don't now. If you, if you haven't no inhaled. Judgment or health it, judgment. Right, it goes to your competence. Yes. <laughs> um, so, hey, listen, Scott, a uh, quick point right. of clarification. Uh, you mentioned hoop houses. So is most of the growing indoors? So a hoop house actually isn't considered indoor, uh, which is one of these weird things that I had to ask a million questions about. But So a hoop house is considered sort of mixed or outdoor growing. Uh, it's open to the air. It, it's natural sunlight. Those are the those are kind of the criteria that they use to, to discern what is to determine what is indoor and what is outdoor. So um, so you do see these hoop houses where the berry industry, which the berry industry has been using for a long time. Uh, that's sort of an, it, I always think of it as kind of an indoor outdoor thing. It's a greenhouse. Um, but in southern Santa, yeah, no, no, these no? are just sort of ha- no. So they're they're sort of half. It's kind of a half-circle bent rod with plastic over it. That's, okay. that's what they call a hoop house. And they're like tunnels, right? So in southern Santa Barbara County, there's greenhouses. And those are, you know, sort of state-of-the-art, inside, climate-controlled. They still use natural sunlight. Um, but, you know, they had a thriving cut flower industry in, in this part of uh, Santa Barbara County until the free trade agreement with Columbia uh, five, six years ago, which just absolutely wiped it out. And what's moved into all those cut flowers? Like you know, the next cut flower, cannabis, hmm. um, and uh, and and they're um, you know they're thriving down there. It's ironic because part of the the deal with the Colombia Free Trade Agreement was the United States, in part, was trying to help Colombia with its problem with coca, the key ingredient in cocaine, by giving them this other industry. And uh, what what happens? Uh, cannabis moves into those same greenhouses, and the federal government obviously considers it on a schedule more dangerous than cocaine. So, pretty ironic. All right, so no Chateau Distoner in Napa Valley, but uh, really important economic and agricultural developments. And this piece is really good. It's really thought-provoking, and we'll have a link so people can enjoy it. Scott Wilson of the Washington Post. Scott, great to talk to you. Great to talk to you, too. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well done. Well, that was written from the perspective of the East Coast or whatever, where everybody thinks Napa if they're thinking grape growing. But if you live in California, you don't you probably aren't going to Napa because there's too many people there. Right. And yeah, uh, but yeah I just was throwing that in. Some that of the most me. some of the most popular wineries around are in the area he was talking about. The rest of the world doesn't know that, but Right. Um, oh yeah. And yeah. they're and they're going with uh, the the Mary Jane, the hard stuff. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> right, old the man. The jazz cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm a, I'm a rural person. Look at me, and uh, so a lot of a lot of times uh, farmers are chasing whatever's turned it out to be the most profitable crop, and a lot yeah. of lot of acreage around where I live have gone to nuts. 
in recent years because nuts just got so valuable. But that's something that takes a long time. You got to tear out everything you got. You got to plant the trees. You got to wait for them to grow up. You got to put in all this irrigation, and then you hope that the price is still high mm-hmm. when you finally start. But I think marijuana, you get like right off the bat, right? It's not like you need fifty-year heritage grape oh. lines or something. Oh no, no, no! Plant no. marijuana it's not today. Like walnut trees? No, no, no. I may may have witnessed one person's effort to grow marijuana. And it may have been extremely productive in an incredibly short time. It grows like a mm. weed. Well, that's interesting, then. Yeah. yeah but no, they I'd should never call even... it that, then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they should call it <laughs> Very funny. Um, uh, uh, I hadn't thought about that before, though. Right. So I, I pull over to the side of the road, steal a handful of grapes. I could make something intoxicating probably months from now. Right. It wouldn't be that great. Right. And it would have been cheaper and faster to just buy it. Right. But marijuana is not like that. No. How about the idea of some unmarked van rolling down the road? You don't know. Is that a family? Is that uh, there's just one dude behind the wheel? Oh, he has $6 million worth of marijuana oil in there. I mean, that is straight out of some sort of George Clooney uh, caper film. And it will be soon, I'm sure. Yeah. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Question that's never been answered, by the way. <laughs> Not to my satisfaction. It's because it's self-evident. There are already laws, you moron. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.